Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Big football weekend on a football Friday. We're going to take a look at the Broncos and, of course, the Colorado Buffaloes. And, of course, we're going to do that. One person makes sense to have on the program. That is Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado. You can follow him on social at Justin Adams TV. And, and Justin, let's start with the Broncos, who are trying to, at least uh, in, in Sean Payton's words, use the the Chiefs as sort of a measuring stick to find out where they are. They lost uh, by only 11 points last time I, in this current streak. I guess that's good. What do you expect from this game, and uh, it, what do you think the fallout might be if it's worse? Well, first of all, I'm a little bit surprised, to be honest with you, when you hear measuring stick when your season's on the line. And just call it what it is. If you lose this game... Everybody's getting traded, right? I mean, you got, you got to make some moves. I mean, what are we talking about? I mean, so, I mean, just look at this. You lose this game, you got to make some moves because the next game then will be on a Monday night against Buffalo at Buffalo. Good luck on that one. And then you go through the rest of your, your schedule. So I, to me, this is the game that will dictate if you're going to keep a couple of guys around or if you can even talk yourself into believing that you have an outside shot of the playoffs. This is a game for that. So when I hear measuring stick, I'm, I'm really confused about that. That's more of a preseason term. This is your season that's on the line coming up right now. Justin, I asked this question to Sean about an hour ago, and he was of no help uh, whatsoever <laughs> in alleviating my confusion that as happens. to why a team that pronounced itself a power running team in August is 23rd in the NFL in rushing attempts per game at 22 with 154 rushes in seven games, including 15, 19, and 23 carries in the last three games, respectively. I ask the question to you. Explain why the Broncos won't run the ball. Well, there's some of the games where they just haven't been in games where they've had a chance to be able to run the ball consistently for several different series. So, for example, before the comeback against Chicago, they were down 21 to nothing. Um, you, we always already know what happened against Miami, and that right. debacle of a the game there too, right? And so there's a lot of games where they just don't stick with the run. And to be frank, I think that this team just likes to throw the football. They think that passing is a whole lot better and sweeter. But the reality is, is that if you're going to continue to protect Russ, if, you, if you're going to put him in the – best position to be able to succeed, especially with the way that Jalil McLaughlin is running the football. you got to go and run the rock. Well, that, that's what I was say. They're two best offensive players, at least among those they play from time to time, which would exclude Marvin Mims, are Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin right now, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, they are. It's a little bit shocking, too, when you think about like a Marvin Mims, who's a guy who could literally take the top off the defense. We saw it this year that he hasn't been in to do that too much. Like, like where has he been? Is, is there an APB out for him? Is, is there something that I missed? Oh, well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. So Sean Payton said, Sean Payton said there's a log jam. Well, All points. Oh, okay, log let me, jam. Let me get this right. Log so, so jam, wide receiver. 
So let me get this. So we have a log jam at wide receiver. I wonder if this game is a measuring stick for them, too. Maybe they should figure it out this week. Well, a couple of them are on the trading block for sure. I mean, and that, and that is interesting because the idea that coming along with what Sandy said, uh, Mims and, and McLaughlin, these are Sean Payton additions, mm-hmm. that they're not holdovers. And when you look statistically at how the Broncos are doing, uh, despite the fact that they're not even getting that much time, they are among the team's leaders at their positions. It is sort of perplexing. And uh, when you take a look at the way this team's offense has been run, Russell Wilson kind of being turned into a, a, a dink and dunk quarterback, and that's helped some of his numbers. But it does feel as if this doesn't really have, and as strange as it is to talk about this with Sean Payton, right? I don't really see a plan. We'll say it's a power running game, but they don't really run. So you you like how the passing game goes, but you don't really pass in an aggressive fashion. So, I mean, what what is the objective? And and obviously, you know, you don't know that any more than we do. We're not in Mm -hmm. Sean Payton's head. But when you watch the offense over the course of the season, what do you think they're trying to do? Because I'm having a tough time figuring it out myself. Yeah, that makes two of us. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's hard to figure out what this team is trying to do from time to time. Even against the Packers, you looked around and said, okay, what is this team doing? Um, even in their, the last drive where they were able to go and get a field goal, it was a little bit confusing. Um, I would say this. I think this team is still trying to figure things out. I think Sean Payton is still trying to figure out the, the pieces that he has on this roster or the pieces that are going to be traded after this game. But he's just trying to figure out what he has so he can continue to build and move forward, trying to figure out is Russ going to be the guy for the long term um, or will he have to go in a different direction. And so that's what I foresee. But, again, we'll come back to what's earlier when you come out and you say you're going to be a power-running team and you play against a team like the Jets who they're really not good defensively <laughs> against the run and you don't run the ball yeah. effectively against them. Yeah. And it's not like you've had injuries up front, which was the reason why you can't run the ball. There's just something that's not clicking with this team. And if you're going to beat the Chiefs, you need to be clicking on all cylinders and more just to have a shot. You're a former tight end, and you've been around long enough to know that it seems to be a problem that has existed for quite some time, maybe in their Super Bowl season. In 2015, they did a better job of covering tight ends. But this year, they are allowing the Broncos 9.7 yards per pass against tight ends. That is dead last in the NFL. The last time they were this ineffective in covering tight ends, and as I say, they haven't done a great job over the years, uh, going back to Mike Shanahan's days, in covering tight ends for whatever reason. In 2008, they gave up 12.5 yards per pass against tight ends, and I guess that's worse than 9.7. But my point is, it isn't just Travis Kelsey. And the two people concussed by Kareem Jackson that got him thrown out of games this year were both tight ends that made big gains and or touchdowns against Denver. Logan Thomas and Musgrave of Green Bay this past Sunday, you you can't expect to cover a guy who's averaged eight catches for 87 and a half yards per game when you can't cover the Musgraves and the Logan Thomases of the world, can you? No, you can't. And good luck against the two because the ball's going to Travis Kelsey, and we're going to hear more stories about 
Taylor Swift and all the Swifties and everything this week because of it. I mean, the reality is this, is that it comes down to what you have defensively. So is this something that from a strategy, from a strategic point of view, that you're not putting together? Um, are you, do you need to go and put Justin Simmons, for example, on the tight end? He's a bigger safety, can be able to, to guard tight ends pretty well, has been able to do so in his career. Is that something that you now have to do? Obviously, you will have Kareem Jackson for the next two games. So you won't have him, but do you really want him to be able to go and guard tight ends as well? Not something that's really his game, to say the least. The Broncos will just have to figure out a way how to get the job done. Do you roll your coverages that way? Do you go and have your linebackers play in the passing lanes to be able to prevent tight ends from being able to get the football, especially on early down situations or even third down and medium where a lot of times the ball does go to the tight end? Those are the things that Vance Joseph will have to go and figure out and just be able to go and stop because, again, Travis Kelsey is the type of guy that the route will be drawn up one way, and he'll run a total different route, and he'll be right on the same page with Patrick Mahomes. So it, it worked for the most part the first time around. He wasn't as effective um, on Thursday night. But on Sunday, if you don't have things put together, it could be a completely different story. You could be in a lot of trouble. Well, well, we'll take a look at that as it comes, but let's turn our attention to the Buffaloes. After their bye week, they now take on the UCLA Bruins. That'll be tomorrow night, national television again, into the Rose Bowl. Uh, obviously, UCLA number 23 ranked. They are trying to figure out who's going to play quarterback that night, but as Deion Sanders put it in his press conference this week, uh, they're not worried about scouting the quarterback. They're worried about scouting the coach. That's Chip mm-hmm. Kelly. Yeah, you know what? You could talk about Chip Kelly, are you one? And there's a couple of different guys, Dante Moore, the five-star freshman. Um, you know, you also have Ethan Garbers, who is a yeah. fourth-year junior. That, that's, probably, that's probably the guy who will play, he especially will. in a game he like this. He was good. He yeah, was good. really good. 22-28 against Stanford. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. You can put up points against Stanford. I just wish the bus two weeks ago can figure out a way how to actually At stop At least in Stanford. the second half. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they didn't put up many points, and they couldn't stop them. Ridiculous how, how, how that happened, guys, to be honest with you. I, I don't yeah, because Stanford how is happened. really, really bad. I mean, there, there are people who think Arizona State is even better than Stanford. Not much, yeah. but, I mean, that's how bad Stanford is. That It was a terrible And their leading receiver in that game got hurt, by the way, too. Didn't even oh, finish the game. I mean, it was a bit Speaking of a disaster. Speaking of tight ends. So yeah. when you're talking about the, the – the, look, the, there's no way to dance around it. The Buffs have been exposed on the, on the lines. The, the offensive line and the defensive line are subpar. Uh, teams seem to be willing to just, uh, to a certain extent, dare the buffs to run because that hasn't come along that well they're really just concerned about stopping shooter sanders and been bringing the house with regularity what can the bus do on offense understanding the limitations to at least find a way to keep ucla's defense honest enough that they're not getting sanders running for his life every single play i think dylan edwards is the key if we go back to what happened in the first game against tcu and the way that the bus got him the ball they were able to get him the ball in space you're looking at a team that gives up the second fewest rushing yards in college football and also has one of the top defenses, period, only giving up, what, less than 15 points a game. And so what's one of the things that you can do is you get speed in space and let that speed go to work. And that's what the Buffs can be able to do. I want to see them be able to do that with Dylan Edwards. And you have to run the football. Even though it's a really good defense, you've got to try to run the football. 
But don't just say we're going to run it in between the tackles and see what happens. Have some variety to your game. Maybe go outside. You have some sweeps. You do whatever you can, some misdirection. Even though your base offense is out of shotgun, there still is several different ways you could be able to run the football. Maybe you have a trap. Maybe you have several different things drawn up. Those are the things that I want to see because if it's third down and long type of situation, Shadur Sanders is going to be running for his life all Saturday long, and that's they not have a real good pass rush, don't they? Great UCLA. pass rush! Oh my goodness! And oh, by the way, they have uh, one of their DBs also is tied for first in conference play with interceptions. And so, when you look at all those different things being put together, it just sets up for a game like this. If you don't run the football, at least uh, let me give you guys a different, different quick story. I was over the house with uh, Ryan Harris. Um, over his house watching a game. Actually, we were watching the AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs in uh, 21. And I remember when the Bengals were getting their comeback, they would run the ball again like two yards. And he said, hey, that's good. Hey, that's good. And in my mind, I'm like, you want like three or four, right? He was like, no, you just want to make sure that you have some sort of momentum and yeah. you're keeping that positive momentum in front of the sticks. That's the same thing that the Buffs have to have in this game. You may not get those four, five, 10, 15 yards on the ground. But if you could get those two to three consistently, keep you in front of the sticks and make those second down, third down to be third and medium, third and short, rather than third and long, then you give yourself a great chance to pick up first downs, which ends up turning into touchdowns. To reinforce your point, CU is last among Power 5 schools in rushing yards per game at 86.3, and they average all of 2.7 yards per carry. But Maybe that would be okay against UCLA right. uh, if they could get it up to three, maybe three and a half. That that would be okay and would leave some pressure against Shadur Sanders, who's been sacked 34 times this year, even as he's number four nationally in passing yards with 2,420. Mm. I wanted to ask you a more general question because we know about the 3-0 and start and all the excitement that created and the thought that, hey, maybe it's possible that CU could even be somewhat of a factor in the Pac-12 race in 2023. Well, now they're 1-3 in the Pac-12, and they're obviously not in contention uh, for uh, any kind of, uh, you know, college football playoff spot or anything resembling that, or even very close to being ranked in the top 25. My question to you is this. Is the pressure on or off Coach Deion Sanders across these last five games? Uh, and and I, I say that uh, having said, and I think Sean said it too, and, and, and maybe you feel this way, four wins already means the first year mission has been accomplished, right? right. Even if they don't win again. Four versus one and eleven last year, and then being completely unwatchable, uh, maybe the worst team in FBS, and beating the I, odds in Vegas, listen, and you had them as lower wins than that, right? Yeah, and and uh, you know the athletic puts out its rankings every week of a, a 133 FBS schools. Uh, you know, Colorado's up from being the worst at the end of last year up to number 42, at least uh, it, it, by the athletics reckoning. And they're still ahead of TCU, the team they supposedly shocked on opening day in Fort Worth. It, I think they're just a better team. 
They've lost three games. TCU's lost four games already. Yeah, so isn't the mission accomplished? I, I guess is what I'm asking. And the pressure's somewhat off. Or are the last five games going to define Deion Sanders' first year in any meaningful way? I think the last five games actually does to me. And the reason why is because you're coming off of a terrible loss against Stanford. And let's call it what it is, guys. This is a team that has lost three out of their last four games. Sure. So let's put that in perspective, right? Yes, you have four wins. Yes, you have over the win total. But you're a team that's lost three out of their last four. And if you lose the rest of the games, you have lost your last six games. I don't care what you say about, hey, this is a team that, you know, yeah, they hit that win total. They're feeling better. That will still be a team that lost Six of that that lost the last six games. So you have to figure out a way how to go and just get two of those games. Should have been one against Stanford. Understand, but there's still that pressure to be able to get this team to a bowl game this year and to continue to show that the total 180 of this program actually works with the transfer portal, with getting more recruits in, more top flight recruits. You want to make sure that you get all that done and all that taken care of. And you know what? There are some games you could be able to go and win. Look, going up against UCLA, UCLA, despite them having a very good, and I mean a really, really good defense, this will be the worst offense statistically the Bucs will face out of the last of the teams they're going to face in the regular season. Oh, yeah. This is a game that you could be able to win in many respects if you could be able to do a couple of things on offense and keep the game close on defense. This is a game that you have a shot on on the road. Another game I didn't think that they had a shot on earlier, but I look back now and say, well, maybe they do. I think Washington State is another game. It's going to be a tough game, short week on the road, but that will be one that's going to be an offensive fireworks type of game that you may have an opportunity to be able to win that one. And then we all know about Arizona. We circled that game as one that you must have. So when you look at those three games out of your last five, you got to find a way how to be able to get the job done because if you do and you get to a bowl game, you have more bowl practices, and you also are able to show those recruits, hey, what we are doing is working. And, oh, by the way, ESPN is going to love you a whole lot more because whoever gets the bus in the bowl game, they're going to have probably the highest-rated bowl out of pretty much everyone except for the college football players. If they get there, you're right. And they are on ABC tomorrow, and they're on ESPN at home against Oregon State uh, coming up uh, next week. Um, My last question to you is this. Uh, Did Constant Schwartz Marini make any news this week, Deion Sanders' manager and the CEO of Smack Entertainment, when she said, there's no way he's leaving. He's having too much fun at CU. Yeah, I remember a certain ball-headed black coach who uh, had a, a tweet that actually was sent out and said that he wasn't going anywhere. And then mm-hmm. um, a couple of days later, he said that he was le- Oh, Mel Tucker. I forgot that guy. Yeah, you know what? To me right now, I think that Deion Sanders wants to see it through, right? Coach Prime wants to be able to see it through. But you and I both know, guys. Look, we've been in this business long enough. And when Anybody says that they're not going anywhere, your actions are going to let us know if you actually are going to leave or if you're going to stay. Now, at this moment, there, to me, is no reason why he, he would be leaving. You're starting to get more recruits. We have a feeling that you're going to get a lot of your offensive line and defensive line taken care of through the transfer portal. But uh, you never know what happens. You never know what happens. I will say this, is that speaking with some um, administrators at CU, um, I was told that they are not concerned about him leaving. I, I will say that for sure. And so that's one thing that Buzz fans can't be able to rest on. But in the words of Kobe Bryant, job's not finished. And so if Coach Prime leaves right now, just know 
that the job's not finished what you have here in Boulder. Yeah, and obviously the way this finishes changes the momentum there for Deion Sanders as well. You know, at the risk of, of losing out, uh, you know what the narrative will be. We all know what the narrative will be. It was mm-hmm. it was false hope. It was a fraud, and that's yep. the reality of Bulls it. Goal. Right, exactly, and they have to find a way to avoid that. They will have an opportunity tomorrow night. Make sure you keep up with Justin, Justin Adams TV on social, and of course, uh, well, he ain't hard to find, CBS News Colorado. Thanks for the time, my friend. Fellas, as always, I really appreciate you as always. Be blessed. All right. Take care. Justin Adams joining us. And uh, an interesting point that he made about what the Broncos are doing and Sean Payton that I, I wrote down because it caught my eye. And there is a possible, well, my ear, but it, it, it possibly there's something to it here. Let's imagine that we're all playing checkers and Sean Payton is playing chess. Just for a minute. Bear with me. I'll explain next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. But I just express in ways you don't see. Yeah, yeah, and you should know that I'm about you. Just talked to Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado about the Broncos, the Chiefs, and the, the Buffs and the Bruins. And one of the notes he had about the Broncos. We're talking about it was very difficult to see what the Broncos were doing and envision what they were doing offensively, right? It seems to be somewhat directionless. They don't really, you brought it up at the very beginning of the show. There's the idea that they wanted to be a power running team, but they don't actually commit to it. The, the passing game isn't really the kind of offense that you would expect you traded it for Russell Wilson for. What if the idea with Mims and McLaughlin, one of the things Justin said kind of got with me after this game, of course, the trade deadline is on Tuesday. It is about Sean Payton identifying his guys, figuring out who can he go with going forward or not, because he is the most secure person in the building that is not an owner. Is it possible he's already decided that Mims especially is part of the solution going forward, and so there's no reason to worry about giving him snaps right now? He does need to give snaps to, uh, when healthy, the Brandon Johnsons of the world or, or some of the other players where he's not sure whether he wants to keep them or not. I'll, and I know I'm stretching, but I'm grasping for, just for straws here. slightly from that. What's the good of playing Marvin Mims with Russell Wilson when Russell Wilson isn't going to be your quarterback when Marvin Mims blossoms? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I don't think Sean Payton has any idea who that quarterback will be in 2024, but I believe Sean Payton has decided, and he is, as they say, at least for now, the decider, that Russell Wilson will not be his quarterback in 2020. It certainly feels that way, yes. And it's felt that way for a while, quite frankly. And I think Russell Wilson knows it. And I think we saw that at the tail end of the Jets game when Sean Payton kind of wanted to ball him out for the fumble, to which Wilson, well, he wasn't disrespectful, all but wait. He, he stood and listened for a moment yeah. and then just didn't interact and walked back to the bench. Reminded me of what Calvin Nat used to sort do. Sort of understanding. I, I know you're him. not keeping me around anyway, so I'm only going to pay so much attention to this. But 
Calvin Nat, when Doug Moe would very infrequently, but on occasion, yell at Calvin, Calvin would put up his hand like this. He'd be on the court, right? Doug would be yelling at him. <laughs> put up his hand He's got like his hand. this for those who can view us here. Put up his hand like this, Sean and do. Yeah, but do the way, do the, the, I, I, I hear you. But the, the little dismissive, you know, bend the wrist like, nah, nah, don't bother. Right. And uh, Wilson wasn't quite that, uh, no, he wasn't clear about quite it. that demonstrative, but it was close. And point made, point made. Um, on both that, sides, quite you know, frankly. I, I yeah. guess the Peyton felt the need to chew on Russell Wilson a little bit. Maybe deserve. I think some, some of, of it, it, not all of it. I mean, I I, I, I think that's it's really been a, an odd situation. And so you have a team that's they're playing out the string without trying to look like they're playing out the string. Exactly. And that's a exactly. weird place for a team to. It be is. In. It's a very you know, odd if you're place flat out be. bad and you're tanking. Okay, it's one thing. If you really are competing, you're competing. Okay, you have a team in which your quarterback knows he's gone at the end of this year. He knows. He knows, and he's still going out there. And so here's here's the challenge, because Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, the experiment, clearly, it was always questionable. Clearly doesn't work. They're not on the same page. Uh, at this point, it's pretty obvious that uh, Wilson will listen out of professional courtesy, and, and he's still doing what he's been told to do by his coach, and the, it's, the offense is not a good setup. But if you're Russell Wilson, and I want you to think about this from a – from a human perspective, right? You're Russell Wilson. You're going out there playing a dangerous game. Your career is at a crossroads. You're going to want to land with somebody else. Right. So you're going to go out there and do the best, but are you concerned about going out there and doing the best for the Denver Broncos or for Russell Wilson? Well, you're making some business decisions, I would think, and he's been hit and a I lot And I think he's been doing it, year. too, and choosing not to throw at times right. because his guys aren't all that open. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not, I, I don't want that pick on my record. He doesn't run up his interception uh, total. Uh, yeah, that's pretty clear. Yeah. That, that's one of his objectives. Don't run up my interception count. So it's anything last year where it was, what, 16 touchdowns. He'll probably throw for more than that. What's he got now? 13. He'll probably beat 16. And he threw 11 interceptions. He's thrown four right. already this year, if I'm correct. And so I, I think there are some business decisions, some objections, some, <laughs> I was going to say objections, uh, objections and objectives for Russell Wilson. Remember, Russell Wilson, at least publicly, acted as if he really wanted Sean Payton. I'm not aware of any public indication that Sean Payton was ever crazy about Russell Wilson. No, I don't recall anything. No. And uh, none of that is particularly a surprise. So now you have a team to which the quarterback and the head coach know they're splitting up at the end of the year. Well, Guess who else knows that? Every single person in the Denver Broncos uniform. And so now you have, uh, at this point, still the majority of the season in front of you with the team knowing that, oh, well, we're looking to build toward next year. Well, are we? About half of you guys aren't coming back. We know that already, including the quarterback, which, by the way, is a lot of the direction of your team. And keeping this team together, I think, is very difficult. And I think Sean Payton has understood of late how difficult it's going to be. After a loss in Kansas City, which I guess looked close enough on the scoreboard, he still only scored eight points. He and said you he were never really no, in the game. No, and, and, and if the Chiefs wanted to ever put their foot on the gas, which they clearly didn't, they were playing with trick plays all game. 
gadget plays, the one right after another, going for fake field goals. Sean Payton knows this, and he still said he was encouraged. From the five-yard line? He wasn't discouraged by the loss. It was encouraging. That's a guy that I think also knows I have the majority of the season left, and I think a good part of this locker room has tuned me out, including my starting quarterback, of which I shouldn't be surprised because all I've done since I've come in is run him down virtually after every game right. we've lost. Right. Right. And so I, now I agree he's kind that. of spun and off even this, after you know, a win, uh, he he mentioned a failed play and seemingly blamed Russell Wilson for that uh, rollout pass to Javante Williams that was poorly thrown. Javante still should have caught it. Uh, Javante struggles with passes that aren't right there on target. And, of course, it was a drop. And, of course, it forced Denver to uh, try a 52-yard field goal instead of a field goal from much closer. Uh, Lutz is making everything, uh, it seems, inside of 55 yards. Inside 50 yards, certainly. This is a 52-yarder. He did make it. But I think it would have made Peyton more comfortable if the Broncos gotten a little closer. Uh, maybe even scored a touchdown. You know what those look like? You, you get one, maybe two, a game from the Broncos. Yeah. Still, even though the offense by most measures is a standard issue average NFL offense in 2023. And I'm looking at this game where, where trying you to have, think where you could get more than two touchdowns well, on the Chiefs. I can't envision it unless but, the Chiefs but here, make a mistake. You know why touchdowns are not, not just for the Broncos, but for a lot of teams that are considered pretty good offensive teams that are way down this year. Uh, the red zone conversion rate in the NFL this year is astonishingly low. Going back to, I think, 2011, it's something like 53.1% league-wide yeah. conversions in the red zone into touchdowns, 53.1%. And I think... The last year, it was as low as 53.1%. was 2011. So, it, it, and the Broncos stink in the red zone, as we all know. They stink. And, and they're worse than the average, I believe. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're they're below 50%. How many drives did they have? I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously. And some of it is the way defenses are being played. Look, in the last five. No, that's right. That's right. In and, the and last five red years. Red zone defenses are dominant. And, and. and that's overall, and it has to do, oddly, with with playing defenses that you don't traditionally think of as defenses in the red zone or especially near the goal line. You're seeing some teams play as much as cover three in red zone or even in goal line situations. Those numbers have gone up over the last five years. The number of times it, teams It's 53.5%, play... by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh, it is. Okay, well. 53.5%. I want to be accurate on yeah, this. Give them credit. NFL red zone scoring 53.5%. Uh, on touchdowns, uh, worst since 2011, worst percentage since 2011. Quarterbacking play, I think, has has been a, a, some of that challenge as well. The really good, accurate passers, there's fewer than there have been, but they're also isolating that. For the fifth season in a row, the cover, the percentage of the time teams play cover one has gone down. For the fourth season in a row, it is either held steady or gone down for cover two. What's happened is the big coverages have gone up. Five years in a row, they creep up. Cover three is now the coverage yeah. on 39% of the plays. Cover yeah. four, five Don't years the Broncos in a row play up. a lot of cover three? Now it's 16% across the league, and yeah. cover six <laughs> is up to 10. So, I mean, look at that number. So you're talking about... Sometimes it does appear as if the Broncos are only covering with Right. People. But, I mean, you're looking at 
you know, 10, 10% plus 16%, you know, there's 26% plus 30, 39. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's 65% of the time your pass defenses cover th- three, four, or six yeah. in today's NFL. Right. It, this is an adjustment to yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, absolutely. And to a certain just- extent, because this starts, this, this trend started in 2019, of Russell Wilson, who would spend time running around, finding a way for a guy to get open and hitting either a DK Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett. Can't do that anymore. The league has simply decided we're not going to let you do that. If you're going to have to march down and you're going to have to score in close quarters, we're not going to let you bomb away. And unfortunately for Wilson, this defense has really started to tighten up as he's gotten older. And it's sort of a nightmare situation for Wilson because what he's done his whole career, the league has just decided across the board we're not doing. It's accelerated because of quarterbacks like Mahomes, who have then taken what Wilson used to do and taken it to the next level. Even with two, two is not a bomber. Brock Purdy sure is two a is capable of being a bomber, they, but it's not what the he. Two yeah. most efficient quarterbacks right. in the NFL. It's turned into an efficiency game. It has. Mahomes is number three, and Mahomes and a Burrow who can throw like that have have adjusted and adapted. For Wilson, it's been harder to adjust and adapt. Yeah. And the truth is, for Sean Payton to an extent, I think, I think so. it's been tough to adjust so. and adapt. And this is part of the challenge. And again, that Sean Payton into. loves to uh, run his passing game between the numbers, and that ain't Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's an outside the numbers guy. Uh, playing outside the career. numbers is harder now, as you've suggested, mm-hmm. with the kinds of coverages that are being deployed by most every team in the NFL. And there's a little bit of the Vic Fangio influence, quite a lot uh, of a lot the Vic of, yeah, Fangio influence, as a matter of fact, to give. Uh, the so-called devil is due. Um, although I'm surprised that the defense in Miami hasn't been better this year. I, I, I actually think the team that Fangio is actually coaching has been okay, but not great defensively. I think that's probably fair, yeah. And and that seems odd to me. And even some of his disciples uh, which I guess in a sense include Vance Joseph, certainly Staley with the Chargers, their defenses aren't any good either. It's it's an interesting situation, but for the Broncos, it's just sort of a, a perfect storm of, of players at the wrong time, of offenses at the wrong time. You know, teams have gotten more adept. At, when you're talking about coverages, especially you talk about down the, you know, outside of the hashes like Russell Wilson prefers. Teams have gotten really adept to press coverages of using the old uh, – their 12th man, the Absolutely. old Sammy sideline so becomes the their friend. And, and teams have gotten really, really skilled at that. So it limits the explosiveness of an offense. And, and I think that's been a challenge. Only the teams that are really, really clever offensively. And Andy Reid counts as one of those, of course, has found a way to, to work around it. And he, of course, has the best quarterback in the league. So, And you know what else? He he has, and I know they lost the enemy, but... I think actually Reed has uh, allowed Matt Nagy, who used to be there, right, uh, a, a little more control over over the offense, maybe calling a few more of the plays, uh, which seems a, a little odd to me, but uh, Reed's a flexible thinker and he's always changing up on people. But I, I was going to say, I think the most underrated defensive coordinator in the sport is Steve Spagnuolo, the Kansas City Chiefs. I, you I make think that he's argument. made a lot out of little in terms of talent for a long, for time. A long time. And I now he's got some talent, 
and they're a top five defense by any reasonable measure, certainly a top 10. And in my opinion, a top five defense in, in many areas across the board. And my goodness, for years, we said Kansas city would be unbeatable if they even had an average to slightly above average defense. It's better than yeah, that. It's good. It's real good. Football season's been rolling for weeks, but now hockey and basketball's in the mix. So what are you waiting for? It's time to get away from those big boys and try your hand with the local book. That's our friends at Superbook Sports. They're the book next door with a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And if you're looking to get started, this is easy. Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this season. With Superbook Sports, visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All systems go thus far for the Denver Nuggets, who have playing uh, gotten underway in Memphis. Yeah. A World Series starts in about an hour. Oh, and by the way, uh, it's not the only national college football game on Saturday night. The Buffs and the Bruins, the Falcons and the Rams get it underway in Fort Collins. We'll talk about them as well next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Denver Nuggets are uh, beating the Memphis Grizzlies out the second period. An eight-point lead as we talk about it now, 32-24. to 24. Uh, right. The Grizzlies, Desmond Bain and Marcus Smart combined two for ten shooting. That's probably uh, going to be a good problem for, uh, for, for the, the Grizzlies. Nuggets. Yeah, because if they can't score enough points and those two guys have to score well they can't score it's hard to if, imagine if those two guys don't score big they can't score. yeah i mean it feels like that's not gonna happen but but I, we want to turn our attention a little bit to uh the game that's going to be on saturday night not the one that the one that's running opposite right. of course abc will have the buffs at the bruins but over at cbs sports network the falcons will be in fort collins to take on the colorado state rams now the falcons of course seven and oh favored to run the table Already, oh, yes. already ranked 19th and now uh, expected now to uh, finish the season unbeaten, which would be remarkable. They are a, a heavy favorite over the Rams, a two-touchdown favorite in Fort Collins, and probably rightly so. But the Rams have a couple things that I think will make it interesting. Not only have they continued to play well, remember they surprised Boise State. They should have beaten Colorado, realistically. They could have knocked off UNLV, a very good 44 team. 44 seconds away. They gave they them a push. a late game lead. I, I don't think they're the better team than Air Force, but I think you can't look at, at CSU's season and said that there is not a clear up arrow that's been going all season long. Oh. Once they found Fowler Nicolosi at quarterback is the guy's the answer. With Fowler Nicolosi and with Torrey Horton, who you will see playing on Sundays next fall, they have a, a at least some quick strike ability. And Dallin Hoker, a tight end, we've talked yes. about the challenges of covering tight ends. Another weapon for them. Absolutely. I, I think there is a there is at least a puncher's chance if they don't get behind early for CSU to make this game much closer than 14 points. I'm not going to say they're going to win. Here's the, the the bad news for CSU is Air Force doesn't let down. They also just uh, grind teams they, into they paste just, on the ground. You know, and, and when you haven't seen the option, and they haven't seen it, certainly not the way Air Force not the way runs Air Force, it. Yeah, not the way Air Force runs it. 
it, it's very tough defensively. Uh, offensively, can they do some things against Air Force? Yeah. Wyoming did some things offensively mm-hmm. against Air Force. And I think CSU is maybe, at this point, verging on being a better offensive team than Wyoming. Not a better defensive team by a long shot, but a better offensive team. The path to six wins for CSU would have been easier had they held on against UNLV last Saturday. But it's not out of the question because I think they'll get to five, uh, not by beating Air Force, but by beating Nevada and Hawaii. That's how they finish up. Two of the worst 10 teams in the country this year. Those are wins, in my opinion. You get to five, and then to get to a bowl, you need six. You have to surprise a San Diego State, uh, maybe a Wyoming. I mean, you get San Diego State at home. Wyoming, of course, that border war game is going to be in Laramie. That's yeah, tough for be, sure. That'll be tough. It's going to be, be tough. tough. San Diego State is, but San Diego is State more realistic than Wyoming. Not impossible. So, I mean, it's obviously a really good sign for the Rams, the, the, the Falcons, of course. Uh, leading as as they often do, all of college football in rushing, averaging <clears throat> 306 yards a game on wow. the ground. I mean, just wrap your noggins around that, everybody. I've said this for years. Uh, 306 I, I, on the ground. I, I think the most entertaining offense to watch is still a well-run option attack. Yes. Oh, yes. I grew up watching so fun. that kind of attack at Dartmouth. Uh, back in the 60s when Dartmouth would, on occasion, along with Yale and along with Cornell, when Cornell had Ed Marinaro, end up in the top 25. People don't believe that now about Ivy League teams. But Dartmouth ran as sophisticated an option attack as I've ever seen, including the one Air Force runs. Only 13 teams. It's very, very tough to defend. And when it's run well, it's a thing of beauty to watch. A badly run option <laughs> attack is like watching paint dry. It, it's just dreadful. And we saw that last week with Navy. Yeah. When Navy had the ball until the very end when Air Force all but let him score. Navy runs the option badly. I remember going to a number of Army-Navy games through the years when Navy had a real good team and could run the option as well as Air Force ever could and had a quarterback who was as good as any the Air Force have had in the, the, uh, the last 15, 20 years. And they were fun to watch. Only 12 teams in Division One, 12, average the number of passing yards per game that the Falcons average on the ground. Yeah. 12. That's it. Interestingly in that, though, of course, we're talking about the local squads. Number three in the country is Colorado with 346. The Rams rank sixth. In the nation, 336.4 passing yards per game. Sixth. They were smack in between Georgia and Oklahoma. Yeah. That that air raid offense, they've yeah. they found their quarterback. They yes. have, they have a couple receivers in Holden, Horton and Holker for sure. Four major league receivers. And they have a coach that yeah. has had success running that offense everywhere he's gone. When he was at Nevada, they surprised a lot of people there. Uh, that, that offense works for him. And, and I think... Seeing those contrasting styles is going to be kind of fascinating. See, uh, to me, and and I'm not suggesting that this was done by design. It's uh, Dion is naturally charismatic, but it has a way when when you look at what has gone on in Boulder, and it's been thrilling, and it still is intriguing enough for ABC to put their game with UCLA 
on tomorrow. Sure. Even though UCLA is favored it, it to win by 16 to, and a half. Yeah, the Rose Bowl is pretty photogenic, too. I, I understand <laughs> that. I'd play the Super Bowl. I've said this for years, too. I play the Super Bowl every year at the Rose Bowl. I think it's a great facility. I know they don't have skyboxes, or at least I think they do now, but it's not very many. It's not, not very yeah. many. I think when you, you look at what's happened here, it's been great in Boulder uh, for so many reasons, but it's kind of sucked the air out of the room. And it's made people pay less attention to Air Force and CSU than they otherwise might have paid uh, if this were last year and CU was going 1-11 right. again. Uh, and I, I think that's too bad. And tomorrow night will be a chance to watch both. I know it's CBS SN, but it's a national game. It's a national game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can kind of go back and forth. Air Force and CSU start at 5. UCLA hosting CU starts at 5.30 on ABC. Go back and forth and and watch both of them uh, if you can. Watch both games. Yeah. Both of them, both games. But get a sense of the three teams as they stand right now. And I'll tell you what, uh, CU – if nothing else offensively through its passing in Shadur Sanders is entertaining, I think you'll find CSU as you found them in September when they played CU to regulation standstill, very entertaining to watch. And air force is just a good football team. I mean, I don't remember any year before the season began, which Troy Calhoun has said, we're going to be pretty good. And in coach speak down in Colorado Springs, that means we're going to be real good. Yeah. We're, we're going to, whether people think this way or not, we're going to be real good this year. We're going to be hard to beat. And so far, you know, Wyoming was a struggle for Air Force, but every other game has been pretty routine. They really haven't been challenged by anybody anyone but Wyoming so far, maybe CSU can challenge them and stay within a couple of touchdowns. A lot of exciting stuff. And by the way, you know, you see, you don't get to see very often. All three major college football programs on national TV Absolutely. this week. I mean, when was the gr- last time we had that? It's great. It's a great thing. And that rising tide sort of lifts all boats for multiple different reasons. What what each of these organizations and, and programs are doing is, is good. All of it. All of it's good. And then the more it, it gets attention, the better it is for getting recruits to the state of Colorado, whether they go to Fort Collins, Boulder, or Colorado Springs. Well, we know Air Force is recruiting people it's never recruited before, all of a sudden in the last few years. And we know with the air raid offense, CSU is a very attractive place, especially now that they found their quarterback, for wide receivers. You bet. Uh, I'm not saying they'll replace the guys they're losing, but they will have talent always. Well, a lot of wide wide receivers are going to be looking at Colorado because, of course, Boulder is going to as it continually seems to be bringing in its chunk. And some, I, I agree. There's some guys that may may not land there, when, but decide I when, like playing in Colorado. I'm going to play up in Fort Collins. At least between CSU and CU, well, we had this type of receiving talent at both schools. Oh, man. you got to go back now, to Now, maybe one, maybe one, and it's most often in recent years probably been CSU yeah. that's had good receivers. Yeah, uh, of late, that certainly. When, when McElwain was there, yeah, for sure. And even Gallup with Mike Bobo. And, right. Even with Mike Bobo a little bit. Uh, 
they they have that kind of quality now, and CU certainly has a better cast of wide receivers than it has had since uh, the days of Pritchard and Jeff Campbell. And here we are talking about uh, college football in Colorado as a more interesting thing to watch this weekend than the pros. When's the last time that happened? Has it ever happened? I don't even know. Certainly not in my lifetime, but that's what we've got. Broncos and Chiefs on Sunday, of course, all those college football games tomorrow and uh, yeah, we got a World Series going, too. We'll talk about all of this on Monday. Thanks to Arif Dean for joining us, talking about the Avalanche and their hot start. Yeah, okay, whatever. They had a lousy game against Pittsburgh. It happens. They're 6-1 and one and in first place. Relax. And by the way, Chicago and Vegas are now 2-2 on the third. Yeah, you don't know. The, the Nuggets, of course, will play a couple of interesting games as well. They have one now, and they'll play Oklahoma City on Sunday. We'll talk about that. And, of course... Broncos and Chiefs with the trade deadline looming. That will happen quickly. So thanks to Eric. Thanks to Justin Adams. Justin Adams TV on Twitter, of course, from CBS News Colorado. Thanks to you, everyone who interacts with the show, whether you were listening on the FM, the HD, at MyLifeSports.com, or made it super easy on yourself and just got the MyLife Sports app to get everything that Arif and, and uh, Cody Rourke and Ryan Blackburn and everyone puts together every day. You get it all at once. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes all of it work. Quite literally, Sandy and I do not have buttons. Nothing happens without Danny. Thanks so much. Uh, Natalie attired in his combo of uh, buffs and nuggets. I approve. I approve. I, I can't pull it off, but I approve. But most importantly, thanks to you. We will be back on Monday. Have a safe and happy weekend. Look, I know it's holiday party weekend. Be smart out there, okay? You know, get drivers, get Ubers, whatever it is. Don't do something dumb because we want you back on Monday. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. I saw the fire in your eyes. I saw the fire.